Welcome to The Rodcast with Rod Turner, the show all about real estate. We discuss everything that affects asset-backed businesses, investments, and go deep into the details with some of the best in the business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Rodcast. Uh, Today, I'm joined again by Simon Howley, the founder of Bell Howley tax advisors and we're going to be talking about stamp duty SDLT today so welcome Simon. Thank you very much. So Simon do you want to give us a quick bit of background on SDLT? Yeah yeah just uh, not to bore people too much. Yes stamp duty is always taxed in the statute book and the stamp tax 1891 to a limited degree we're still um, affected by that and You'll know SDLT has been enforced now since 2003. Obviously SDLT is now applicable only to England Northern Ireland, Scotland has its own uh, land buildings and transactions tax from April 2015, and Wales has its land uh, own tax from April 2018. So they should work very similar to each other, but I am aware that Scottish one is slightly different, but they're pretty much on the same. Stamp duty on shares uh, is different. It's normally a single rate of half percent. There's been many schemes over the years to try to use that to avoid paying stamp duty. They've pretty much been closed down, but it's still still available in certain situations. Stamp duty applies to random buildings in England and Northern Ireland. Um, doesn't matter uh, whether a vendor or purchaser is resident. Um, it's where the documents are drawn up. Obviously, there are higher rates. Uh, well, the rates for companies and individuals are the same, except there are higher rates for companies who are buying residential property, uh, that's from April 2016, and a special rate, 15% on certain purchases of residential property may apply depending on certain situations. That higher rate of 15% does not apply, there's an exception if you're a business that covers trading businesses and property businesses, and also... So essentially, yeah. if, some, if someone's actually living there, or if it's being rented, or it's a business that's trading it or developing it, then yeah. that's, it's not going to apply. So it's really only... It's careful planning. Yeah. Um, what is a property business? There's case law on that. The general rule is you need to be spending 20 hours a week actively managing that business. So if it's passive, passive business income, it's not going to be a business. Uh, trading, of course, is trading. Um, yeah, pretty self-explanatory. There are various reliefs, various issues to, dis- to consider. Linked transactions, so in effect you could buy, an example, uh, A Limited uh, is an investment company, it buys three commercial properties from the same developer. Okay, the half a million pound each. Um, for SDLT purposes, these, this is a single purchase, because it's from the same vendor. Um, so in that scenario, um, stamp duty is around £64,000 in that scenario um, but you could then uh, have multiple dwellings relief which is very um, very valuable uh, again careful planning needs to be done this is available obviously where you're buying multiple dwellings for the same vendor at the same time yeah. MDI is claimed so it's the same worked out on the average consideration paid for each dwelling. It must be claimed on a return, it's not automatic. So, a few examples here, I've just kind of copied from various uh, tax books, keeping nice and simple. Rod Turner Limited bought five houses uh, for 1.2 million. Without claiming the relief, his stamp duty will be 99,000 pounds, roughly. If you claim the relief, 
obviously each pot is worth £240,000, the average, so that's £9,500 per property, times by five, therefore it's £47,500. So you save the £50,000 by claiming the relief. And what are some of the things people can use to evidence that it's multiple dwellings relief? Because obviously in every case we're kind of going to talk about it's really important to get it right first time because it can be a bit of a nightmare trying to go back. So if um, your solicitor or tax planner is putting in this um, stamp duty form, do they need to put in evidence with it? Well, I think you need to get it right first time. Yeah. Um, And therefore tick the correct box on a return rather than go back to HMRC, (laughs) maybe out of time. So the survey report. Yeah will pretty clearly dictate to you whether it is a single dwelling or not. Mm-hmm. That's fundamental. Behind that, you can add further weight to that with photographs. So if it is um, self-contained flats, it's pretty clear from the building, really. Yeah. It's either going to be a single dwelling or it's not. It's quite straightforward. But it's just thinking about it from the start. Yeah, because, I mean, we are currently doing one, for me, that's, that's, that we didn't do from the start. Yeah. So it's obviously a lot more tricky because we then need to gather evidence in the form of surveyor's report, photos, um, I think uh, utility bills for different dwellings, yes. things like that, that we can show to then evidence HMRC. Correct, yeah, but in, in, in your case, your, your survey report from yeah. the bank that, that was going to lend on that, it, it clearly states that it's three self-contained yeah. Yeah. flats, so that's your starting point, that's it's factual. Exactly. Uh, yeah, photographs also. Your situation is slightly different uh, in, in the way that you bought it, but the facts are still the same. Yes. So we'll go back to HMRC and we'll just say this relief should be claimed. And, um, and, and there's a time uh, frame on this, isn't there, which is quite important for people to remember, which I think is 12 months if you are trying to, if you've already paid stamp duty and, you're, and it's an overpayment yes. for multiple drains relief, you've only got 12 months to then go and. Uh, go back, is that, is that correct? That's correct. You can go back and claim an overpayment uh, within four years, but HMRC will not allow you to go back and claim an overpayment where a relief is involved. Right. So with NDR relief, you've got 12 months. But again, get it right the first time. So this is actually an interesting point, especially at the moment involving um, HMOs, so houses in multiple occupation, because as all HMOs owners will know there's there's an issue at the moment where uh, rooms are getting individual council tax banding as uh, some councils and the VOA are arguing that these are um, individual dwellings or hereditaments and uh, one of the things that some people are saying is oh well if that's the case I'll go back and I'll claim multiple dwellings relief but obviously if you've owned these buildings for some time, like most owners have, yes. you won't be able to actually go back and claim back that relief unless it's under 12 months. So that's just something to bear in mind. It is, yeah. Again, it, it's, it's chat to your advisor, uh, talk to us. It's trying to get it right the first time yeah. is a key thing. Local authority rulings is not going to bind HMRC. It is pretty loose. But in most cases, well, in most cases, it should be fairly clear if it is three or four flats or five flats or just a single dwelling. So can we, you mentioned right at the beginning um, about stamp duty on shares and obviously the various schemes there have been over the years. Yeah. Can you just go into a bit more detail on, on the shares? Because I know if we've got, for example, um, companies in certain countries trying to buy up assets in the UK, does it matter where the company is based? 
Not really, no. Um, the key thing really is if, if you're buying shares, it's a non-UK company, there's no duty payable at all, providing documentation is executed outside of the UK. There's no UK share register kept either. Yeah. So it is possible, yeah. but again, it, it needs to be structured correctly in the first place. Yes. You've got groups of companies, uh, it's not unusual to have an SPV and therefore you can sell the SPV. That's quite tax efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the group side, of course, there's no tax in the company because you get exemptions as well for selling the shares anyway, so there's, there's no capital gains in the, in the group company. Yeah, um, yeah so there's, there's, what you can do, again, it's planning, it's thinking about it beforehand. Um, it's hard to unpick things that have been done. Yes. So sometimes you're out of limits, out of time limits, or you just can't pick it. Yeah. Or you might not be able to get your hands on the evidence from when, from yeah. the time that purchase. Because if you've got to take you're going to want anyway yeah. some supporting evidence, whether it be a evaluation report, uh, documentation, a letter from somebody, uh, photographs. Exactly. If that isn't there, then really you, you, you're not going to get very far. So if we can just discuss a couple of different scenarios then. Yeah. So I, before we put this podcast out, I asked a few if anyone had certain questions on these. One person said, my friend purchased a house in August 2018 and they were overcharged as their solicitor is incompetent on their STLT. They only just found out, sadly, and were told as it is more than 12 months, they won't be able to claim that back. Is this true? Again, there, I think you answered that previously. If it is involving the relief, then, then yeah, that if, would be if, if it involves a relief, you've got to change it within 12 months. Yeah. Just a simple underpayment uh, or an error, then you've got four years. Normally, you have to write into to HMRC in Birmingham. Simple things can be a phone call, mm-hmm. um, but if you're going to be more involved, which it probably will be anyway, you need to write within the time limits. But again, just going back to the start, if you know what you're, you're doing in the first place, take advice before the uh, SRT1 return is sent in mm-hmm. uh, and get the right box ticked, ticked. Yeah, and would there be a possible case maybe against the uh, the conveyancer or solicitor that put that in? It's, but, it's yeah. possible, yeah. Uh, it, is, it is possible, but again, that will depend on the facts of the case. Um, I'm always kind of... Uh, I always try to mediate with them and find out why the error was made in the first place. Yeah. If it's a genuine error, then you need to kind of have a chat with the firm. Yeah. Um, but that will be on a case-by-case basis, really. Can we just go through some of these reliefs and what some of the most common reliefs are then for, for SDLT? Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, first-time buyers mm-hmm. uh, is a relief. Obviously, you've got a, a house no more than half a million pound, uh, so therefore you need to pay 0% on the first £300,000. Are they five percent on the balance? There are rules for that. If the house is more than half a million, you can't claim a relief. Um, you all have to be uh, it's your first home and so on. There are different, that that's relief to, to claim. Uh, MDR relief we just discussed anyway. Yeah. Six box thirty three colon you return. Also, if you buy over six dwellings, you can classify that as non residential. Yeah. So the, the statute rate is lower. So you need to just crunch the numbers and see whether that's better than multiple dwellings relief. Yeah, crunch the numbers, uh, transfers between groups, the statute relief within groups. Um, Because obviously it's taxed as one one entity, so therefore any transfers between subsidiaries is not really a a taxable transfer for stamp duty. Charities get relief, interest in properties less than £40,000, that's exemption, Uh, cabans, mobile homes, uh, houseboats. Uh, some of the most common ones. Yeah, okay, brilliant. If someone rents their primary principal residence that they live in and they own a portfolio of houses that they rent out, 
When they want to buy their new primary residence in two years or so, will they have to pay the 3% surcharge? Whereas if they were coming, obviously if they sold their primary residence to yeah. then buy a new one, uh, they wouldn't. Is there, is there any way around that? The issue there is, is if you're renting, you don't own the property. Yeah. It's slightly unfair that if, if, you, if you own a property and you replace it with a new property, you're not liable for that extra um, surcharge. In that situation, you're renting, you don't own it, therefore you're not a part owner of anything, you won't count for that. Mm-hmm. You'll get stuck with that relief. Um, it's just the way it works. It's unfair. Um, but, yeah. It is what it is, yeah. unfortunately. Okay. Um, you need to be replacing your residence with one that you previously owned mm-hmm. or had a part share in. Now, I've got a question here, and it's, I appreciate that there's probably not enough information that's specific on it but I think it would just be good to have a chat about this this person's written so a company A bought the freehold land and then split the titles so that there are three leasehold units one unit that is still under the freehold of the whole site and has a separate unit then they would want to have company A owning that freehold along with the separate building and transfer the leases onto uh, company B so will the transfer of the leasehold units to company B incur SDLT and if so is there a way to reduce it yeah I thought about this one but then I ended up thinking there was no real question being asked for because you've got you've got one transaction where company A is buying a freehold trigger stamp duty you've then got the transactions where you're granting a lease which trigger stamp duty you then have this separate building to come out of somewhere yeah I don't know where that's going to be so it's a bit confusing it's, you can't really answer that because there's no real question to answer there my gut feeling is if group A and group B were part of well, had a holding company maybe were part of the group structure yes um, then that would eliminate most of us to statutory issues because it would be essentially a link transaction yes, between and therefore you can move it around and slice and dice it within yes. the group and therefore that would seem to me a good feeling to, to solve the issue here. so what would be important there is the company that owned the freehold would be owned by a company that also owned the company that owned the leasehold yes so in effect yeah. you'd have yeah. company A and company B as subsidiaries of company C yes exactly um, and, you and B would own the leasehold A would own the freehold yeah. or even an individual could own the freehold as long as they were the share they were the owner of the shares of company C yeah you normally have a simple structure with company C being a holding company um, that's quite easy to put in place as long as the shareholdings match exactly there's no yeah. coming against tax because the new shares sit in the, in, in the shoes of the old shares uh, there'd be no uh, ad valorem tax stamp duty because the ownership is exactly the same after uh, and pre the transaction so once the group's in place you can move around uh, to suit yourself but that would seem to me to be the answer to this uh, bizarre question okay. now one of the things that people are talking a lot about at the moment is uninhabitable property yes. and uh, when they purchase residential property that they claim is uninhabitable there's been a case I think it was was it 2018 or 2016 that's ongoing the Bewley yeah, case Bewley, yeah. what, what first start what is uninhabitable when people are talking about buying a residential property? Well, it's, it's subjected to a certain degree. I mean, you need it to be watertight, mm-hmm. weatherproof. You need to have heating. 
you need to have sanitary, so you need to have running water, toilets working. Um, I think that should be the bare minimum. Uh, in the beauty case, of course, it was bought derelict, it had been derelict for a couple of years, nothing had happened at the time. But the key thing is it's at the time of purchase. Because didn't HMRC try to argue that although at the time of purchase it was not sufficient for someone to live in, however, with some remedial work or some work it could be in the future... Yeah, the, the future uses are not important. Exactly, it's yeah. at the time of purchase. Yeah. It's like everything. It's, it's that's the trigger point. Yeah, um, it's a snapshot in time that you have to look at the facts on that case. Because what's quite confusing about that case is, I think the tribunal stated that it was at that time of purchase. It must be habitable. Yeah. And then HMRC, after that tribunal decision, released information on the website, which yeah. kind of gave the impression that actually there has to be structural issues, which, again, contradicts, really, what the tribunal found in terms of... Whether yeah, I mean, the, the, the beauty case, there was no heating, no boiler, yeah. asbestos there, so you yeah. can't live there anyway. Uh, but it was, it was certainly derelict. But, you know, it, it has to be uh, suitable for a dwelling at the day of purchase. The fact that you may be... It could be a good dwelling when it's renovated, is yes. irrelevant. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's still going to be based on the actual facts of each case. Yeah. So you can't take Bewley and think, well, that's fine, and roll it out kind of carte blanche. So you can't think, oh, well, this one needs a bit of a refurb, so therefore that's it. Or the other thing people say is, well, can I then, between exchange and completion, just uh, yeah. just cut off the services to the house? And uh, no, Again, it's, so, it's photographs. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. the survey report anyway in... Uh, and the stadium's pamphlets for Bewley both said it was derelict. Yeah. So therefore, that it's an easier case. But what? But then you kind of get into the argument of what is derelict because I could have a perfectly good house and just have no one living there. Would that still be derelict? Because I think derelict must have its normal English meaning. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. It must be roof collapsing in, windows broken, yeah. um, floorboards ripped up, damp. <laughs> yeah. So really, what what we're saying is. It's, each case really needs to be taken on its own merit for these. Yeah, always is. Yeah. At the end of the day, if you don't argue the case, you've got a tribunal, it's going to be on the facts. Yeah. And if it is seen as uninhabitable, technically it's not a dwelling. So yes. there is, it's not a nil SDLT, it's just it a is. non-residential. Correct, yeah, yeah. that's correct. Yeah. So when people are talking about, well, will it get rid of the extra 3%, that's, yes. it's not... It's not getting rid of that. No, it's just going to be a non-residential. Lower yes. rates, yeah, exactly. But again, if, if that's if that's the business, you can plan things. Yeah. Um, and if you're looking to to buy something that may be derelict or not, it's a relief to claim. Yeah. But claim it from the outset. Don't wait to go back afterwards. And um, I mean, that's one of the things I've I've learned the hard way is to uh, consult someone like yourself and someone like Jane, who's the VAT specialist that we yeah. had on the other week before going into a purchase so you can look at how to structure things and put things in place to be for example you may need to get a surveyor report to show evidence for that claim and certain things like that so as we've discussed it's very very difficult to try it's it's worthwhile doing you retrospectively argue it's worthwhile to incur the cost of a surveyor because it's going to add weight to the case you're going to put forward in the first place and Jane can advise another VAT VAT is easy to get wrong that can save you an awful lot of money because don't get stamp duty is charged upon exactly stamp duty should we just talk a little bit about some of these commercial non-residential SDLTs that may 
obviously I, I know that is charged on that at the point of purchase so yes. again that's important to understand and if anyone's confused about VAT and SDLT please go back and listen to the episode we did with Jane Deeks but yeah SDLT for anything that's non-residential is obviously at the um, at the lower rate lower rates, yeah, it is, yeah. Um, but there's no multiple dwellings relief on no. on that so you might be buying a building that's I don't know serviced offices or split into several different several different uh, commercial units but that unfortunately there's no multiple relief uh, for, for those no it's not you know, and uh, certain reliefs can be also you can extend them as well so you, you could in effect again an example if God Limited want to buy a new house in London yeah. for £750,000 say as a, as, a, as a figure statute on that would be around 50k but you could arrange to buy two small flats maybe from the same developer at the same time yeah. so that would give you then you know MDR relief yeah um, so just by thinking about that it could save you a lot of money yeah 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 and uh, what about things like granny annexes and things like that would they be seen as, as separate dwellings and can you again it depends on the structure yeah um, if it's self-contained and you yeah. factually it is yeah um, if, if the annex is part of the garden at the bottom then clearly it is yeah. If it's just a bedroom with maybe a kitchenette, it's a bit more dubious. Yeah, yes. so again, it's looking at that before you get to the purchase, putting in... Yeah, it's, it's, just, having, it's just having a conversation. Yeah. Um, are there any issues here with stamp duty? Any issues here with VAT? Can I structure this deal in a different way? Do I need to get a survey report to mm-hmm. substantiate this? So get all your ducks lined up before yeah. you sell it. It's a much easier thing to, uh, to claim it initially. And um, people often refer to residential or commercial SDLT, but it's not really commercial, it's just non-residential. So you've yeah. either got residential SDLT or you've got non-residential yeah, it's, SDLT. Yeah, if it's a dwelling, yeah. it's a dwelling. If it's not, then it's non-residential. Yes. It's fairly straightforward. Okay. What about when, what SDLT rate do you apply when you buy a residential investment property that maybe has a lake or woodland? With it. That is going to be mixed, so it's going to be non-residential, isn't it? So it's going to be the lower rates. Again, you have to distinguish between what's residential, but uh, yeah, so it's going to be the lower rates, basically. Yeah, because that, because it's essentially mixed use, because there is one part of it that is non-residential. Yeah, and yeah. in some cases where, in effect, if you're buying a house, you could then agree to buy a bit of farmland or something yeah. of, of the same developer, yeah. and therefore uh, you then get access to the lower rates. Would so, it have to be on a separate title, or it just could be... I think off the top of my head, I think it can be a separate title. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's what you're buying yeah. is a key thing. It's at the same time. Yeah. So if you're quite savvy... Um, That's really interesting, actually. I've never, I've never even considered... So you're quite savvy, you could want to buy this house, but at the same time... It's got a bit of woodland. something yeah, else, yeah, yeah. You know, like somewhere else to buy a bit of woodland or something. Yeah. Therefore, it's, it's, it can get that uh, mm-hmm. tax benefit. Now, what about probate property? Because this is always an interesting one. So, do you want to run through that? I know there's some reliefs on, um, on buying probate property, which are quite dependent on what you're going to end up doing with it. So, if, if you're buying it, often there's probate properties going through auction or certain agents... If it's going through the probate, what, how can a relief apply and what are the conditions? So if the relief is there, but you need to be a property trader. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of your business is buying property off you know, at probate to get the exemption. Yeah. Um, there are conditions, it's just quite strict. 
Um, so it needs to be uh, dwellings from uh, an executor, from a deceased individual. Um, that individual must have lived in that property as their main residence. It needs to be not without a permitted area, so it needs to be within yeah. an enormous exactly. land yeah. estate and so on. There's also a restriction on, on what you can spend on it. Yeah. It's 20k, which is not yeah. an awful lot. No. Um, you can't then arrange affairs so that you have you buy it and then you get an associate to then renovate it more than that the thought about all that so yeah. there are rules to that because yeah, so, that's um, obviously what I wanted to do <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's thought of that yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's not a bad thing to think about but there are rules against that again you can't grant a lease over it you can't let your employees or anyone connected with you occupy the dwelling yeah. so it's a relief there for you yeah. um, but it's not there to, to, to easy to abuse Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was really my next my next question was: Is there anything stopping you if you've got a group structure to maybe uh, if you needed to do more development or if you wanted to hold and rent it by doing a link transaction? Yeah, it's, it's people connected with you, link with you, yeah. associated with you. Exactly. Um, sort of thought about all that anyway. It's quite uh, how frustrating. It's quite important. <laughs> yeah. So. Okay. So uh, one one more point is. If someone is looking at buying a single property and they're looking to uh, maybe split it into flats and they're going to do that between the exchange and completion, so they split, uh, do the renovation works, uh, put in the new services and then at completion it's already been done. Would they still benefit from multiple dwellings relief because it's at the point in time, or is there any rules against them? I think the key, key thing is what is it at the time of purchase. Yeah, that's the key thing. Yeah, you have to decide what it is at that point. It's a single dwelling. It's a single dwelling. Yeah. If it's four dwellings, that's what it is. Yeah. Okay, the NDR, but that is your trigger point. Yeah, because I know there's something in the HMRC kind of talk about, which is. I can't remember the wording which they use, but it's something along the lines of changing the uh, material or, or something along yeah. that. But um, but yeah, it's always yeah. That's, always there has to be a snapshot point where you have to look at that. Yeah. Otherwise, if it moves too much, then you can't read yeah. your opinion. Yeah. Um, so the time of purchase is, is is the key thing in most. And it's much of it based on intent. So with a lot of other things to do with it. Intent HRC, is subjective. Yeah. 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 So I well, tend exactly. to do this, but at the end of the day. What have you done at the time it's purchased? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you have to look in isolation. Is it a dwelling? Is it four flats in one dwelling or not? Okay, brilliant. And uh, right, I think that's everything I, I kind of had. Have you got any other points on SDLT that you think? No, there's, there's lots to cover on SDLT, so we've covered a few points today, but it's, it's quite a complex tax and it's getting more complex now. Yeah. Um, obviously, the, the foreign changes, buyers. Foreign yeah. buyers um, yeah, it's, so we could do another one in the future. Also, just could do one on partnerships because that in itself is, is a complex. Um, do you want to say anything quickly about sort of partnerships? Uh, just an example of a, a new client at the moment, which I think you referred to to, to myself. Um, this is a, a lady who has a, a portfolio of 15, 16 properties, yeah. and obviously, with partnerships, there are special rules for partnerships. So you can transfer properties that you own your own name into a partnership, and there's no stamp duty on that because uh, there's a calculation you do uh, on Schedule 15, paragraph 10 or 12 from memory, and you work out the calculation, and it comes out to zero, which is fine. And then you can always incorporate from that point if it's applicable and appropriate. Um, and again, there are special rules for stamp duty coming out of that because um, in England and Northern Ireland, of course, 
there is a connected party charge because it's going to a limited company which is owned by the same people who are partners. Yeah. Um, but uh, in paragraph 18 of that schedule, um, HMRC, well, HMRC in England and Northern agree in their manuals that the partnership rules overrule the other charge. So, whereas in Scotland, they don't agree to that. So that's uh-huh. slightly different. So, but in this client's anyway, there was a, an issue with um, the transferring out of the partnership, which they advised wrongly on Section 17A was at the time. So they lost that client mm. because they didn't understand the, the complex rules around yeah. that. Yeah. Um, because that rule is purely for uh, partners retiring and selling amongst themselves. It's not selling it all amongst the to a third party. Uh, so okay. it, it is complex. There's lots of planning around stamp duty and partnerships. Um, I used to be involved in... in Years ago, back in 2004, 05, it was the big thing then was to get property out of companies because they would be taxed twice on selling. So yeah. that was used. Now it's used the other way to incorporate. <laughs> Everyone wants to incorporate now, but it's not applicable because we're not a business. Yeah. And a business in itself is a separate issue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so well, I think we're going to have to do some separate ones on incorporation. Yeah, we can do incorporation yeah. and, and the tax issues, cap against tax issues on that, and the reliefs, and also stamp duties as well on that because yeah. that in itself is a subject. And, and also, whether you're not you're a business or passive investment company is a separate issue yeah. as well. So I think, like with all these things, and we kept saying it, that the most important thing is to just get advice before you go into it, if possible, um, and just pick up the phone, get in touch with Simon, or send yeah, an email if, and, if, if possible, yeah. speak to your advisor. Yeah. Uh, yeah, hopefully they'll know what they're doing. Yeah, just don't just tick a box and send the form in because then you're on the back foot. And if you've got good advisors, they'll hold your hand along the way. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Simon. Pleasure. Um, And as always, if you want to get in contact with Simon or any of the other team at Bell Howling, how can they contact you? Uh, You can email me, uh, email email the office, uh, info at bellhowling.com, or call the office, uh, the the website, and uh, we'll get back to you. Brilliant. Thanks a lot. Please join me next time for more detailed discussions about property on The Rodcast.